morning, everybody. Glad to see your faces here today. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's not every day you get to see a face like this, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Unless you were to watch one of the Paul Blart movies, perhaps. Um, <laughs> you know, one of my jerk friends, um, who I love very much, uh, one time on my Facebook page, posted on my page a picture of Paul Blart on the Segway with my face. And you really couldn't even tell. <laughs> All right, that's hurtful. Let's, uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we give you all the praise and the glory and our adoration this morning. You are worthy. Uh, Lord, you are the creator of all things, Father. Uh, you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. Uh, you are so far above us and beyond us, Lord God. Uh, it's unfathomable to us, Father. And yet, your word tells us, Lord, that you sent your only begotten Son, uh, who condescended to our level, Father, became a man and walked among us, showing exactly what it looks like to walk perfectly according to the law. Not just the written law, but the law as it was written by your Holy Spirit, Father. He showed us exactly what that looks like, Lord, and he taught us how to obey you through honoring his name, through seeking your face through him, Father. And then he died on the cross for our sins, Lord. And so we gather together today, uh, commemorating the day that he raised from the grave, Father, uh, before he ascended to the right hand, when he was raised from the dead, the first fruits of the resurrection, Father, meaning for us that we are next, <laughs> Lord. And so we're so grateful and we're so thankful for that, Lord, uh, that we have this promise within us, Lord. It's not just uh, about us seeking your face in this life and serving you is the best that we can in this life and loving people in this life. It's about the next life, Father. We have for ourselves an inheritance laid up for us in heaven because of what Jesus did for us. Father, help us to live up to that to the very best of our ability, Lord. Thank you for your grace that covers our shortcomings, Father. Uh, you are so great and so wonderful and so awesome. Be pleased today in our worship, Lord, through the studying of the word, and have free reign, we ask and pray, within each of our hearts to speak to each individual person, whatever it is that you would say today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 So, uh, I was given Numbers chapter 29, starting with verse 12. We are going to be talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, also called Sukkoth. Uh, and there's going to be many, many, many mispronunciations uh, today on my behalf as I struggle to say Jewish words, okay? I am a Gentile of the Gentiles, uh, but we're going to do our best. Uh, Numbers chapter 29, starting with verse 12, says, On the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work, and you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord, 13 young bulls, two rams, and 14 lambs in their first year. They shall be without blemish. Their grain offering shall be of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each of the thirteen bulls, two-tenths for each of the two rams, and one-tenth for each of the fourteen lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. 
On the second day, present 12 young bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offering for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance, and also one kid of the goats as a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings. On the third day, present 11 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. Also one goat as a, kit, as a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. You guys getting the picture here? Verse 22, or verse 23, on the fourth day, 10 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs uh, of their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one kid of the goats is a sin offering, besides the regular burn offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Remember, we talked last week about the regular, the daily offerings that were given, right? The daily offerings that were given uh, of every single day throughout their history, it was just it was different on the Sabbath. It was different on the first of the month where more lambs would be offered. But this is a daily offering. So besides this feast, what God is saying through Moses to the people is, this is an addition. This is an addition to the already, the daily sacrifices that I've given you to offer. This is an addition to that, okay? So that's why it says in verse 25, one kid of the goats is a sin offering. Besides the regular burnt offering, it's grain offering and it's drink offering. On the fifth day, present nine bulls, two rams, and 14 lambs in their first year without blemish, their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance. Also, one goat is a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its sin offering. On the sixth day, eight bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in their first year without blemish, the grain offering, their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs. By their no You're going to be hearing this in your head tonight when you go to the row of the bulls, the rams, and the lambs. Oh, my, the bulls, the rams, and the lambs. Uh, on the sixth day, okay, the grain offering, also one goat, verse 31, also one goat is a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the seventh day, present seven bulls, two rams, and 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. And their grain offering and their drink offerings, repeat after me, for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and also one goat as a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offerings. On the eighth day, you shall have a sacred assembly. You shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering by made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord, one bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bull, for the ram, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. Also one goat as a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering and its drink offering. These you shall present to the Lord at your appointed feasts besides your vowed offerings and your freewill offerings as your burnt offerings and your grain offerings as your drink offerings and your peace offerings. So Moses told the children of Israel everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. I mean, Every time I read through the Old Testament, I'm amazed, I'm flabbergasted at what God did. I wonder, well, you know, how did he come up with this? Well, <laughs> he's God, so, you know. Uh, and, 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 we, and we talk about how it points to Jesus Christ, but I'm always overwhelmed by the detail and the expectation that was there by God to do it 
the same way and exactly according to his words, exactly right every single time. You see the rigidity there. Uh, you, you know, you, and God never gave an excuse for the children of Israel to not do what he had commanded them to do, to not offer the offerings and the sacrifices just as he, as he instructed them to do. And so when we get to the New Testament and Jesus Christ comes on the scene, right? And they said, what can we do that we can do the will of God? And he says, this is the will of God that you believe in the one whom he sent. And then later in the epistles, uh, we hear about the fact that the handwriting of requirements, all of these laws were in a spiritual sense nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. So all of the fulfillment of all of these sacrifices and all of these feast days and all of these new moons and all of these Sabbaths and all of the dietary laws and all of the have been nailed to the cross, what that means is they were completely and entirely fulfilled through the man, Jesus Christ. And so that's what Jesus meant, and it seems simplistic, but it was so powerful when he said, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he sent. It is all through Jesus Christ. Every time you read the Old Testament, every time you're going through the law or the prophets or any part of it, remember, remember, it is a neon sign. It is blinking with exclamation points right by the thoroughfare in downtown Syracuse or wherever saying, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. That's what the believer in him should be seeing, should be feeling in our hearts when we read through these words. I don't have to worry about these things because they've been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, we're going to talk about the purpose. Now, we were in Israel during Sukkoth. Uh, the one time I went on a trip and we saw all of the tabernacles that the people had set up. And, and the requirement is that you eat at least one meal uh, a day in, the, in, the, in your little tabernacle that you built. It's basically like a lean-to. Some are decorated better than others and they're joined together. Some people do sleep in them. But the idea of the Feast of Tabernacles is a commemoration of their time in the wilderness. Most specifically, in the 40 years of, of wandering through the wilderness. When they came to the promised land, remember the 12 spies go in, 10 spies come back and say, there's giants, there's no way, we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can, they're bred for us, God has given us this land. The people side with the prophets who brought the bad report, and they want to stone Joshua and Caleb because they're saying, no, God said we can do it. And because of the unbelief of the nation, God says, you're not going in. You're going to wander from the, for in this wilderness for 40 years until your carcass <laughs> drops in the wilderness. But your children, who you said would be devoured by the land, they're going to enter in. And during that 40 years of wandering, we have all of the things that God had established through Moses to the people of Israel with the tabernacle and all of its furnishings and all of its dwellings, and there would be the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, and they would camp and they would stay and remain in one place until the pillar went up and moved, and then they would follow that. That was 40 years. The Bible talks about the fact that their sandals didn't wear out, their garments didn't wear out. God sustained them. It's a beautiful picture for you and I. Even in their unbelief, even in their rebellion, God showed his grace and his mercy. He sustained them. He still sent the manna every single day. He still brought forth water from the rock. While we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were the enemies of God because of our own sin, Christ died for us. There is no greater compliment. There is no more wonderful thing that I could tell you ever anywhere at any point in time to make you feel good about yourself. There's nothing greater that I could ever say to you other than God saw fit to send his son to die for you personally. You are of great worth and value to your heavenly father. You are the treasure in the field. You are the pearl of great price that he gave everything for to purchase. That's you, Gentile. That's the blessing. That's the promise that we have. We need not get caught up in all of the entrapments of this life and all of the things that seek to either put us up or bring us down. I am his, and he is mine. Remember that old song? His banner over me is love. Oh, if we could live in that truth every single day, in the reality of it every single day, and shine that forth into this dark world that we live in. Imagine the impact that we could have. God help us, right? Help us to do that. Help us to be just like that. So the Feast of Tabernacles commemorates God's provision for the Israelites in the wilderness, specifically during the 40-year wandering period. Now, the other thing that we notice as we're going through the sacrifices here, did you notice that the number of bulls changed every day? It starts with 13, and the next day it's 12, and the next day it's 11, and it goes on and on down to one bull. Uh, there is a rabbinic teaching and a, a rabbinic, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, tradition that the 70 bulls total that are offered during the Feast of Tabernacles are representative of the 70 nations that came from Noah's family, okay? Remember, uh, you have Noah and God tells him to build the ark, right? Because of the wickedness of the land, he builds the ark, the, the flood comes, destroys all the inhabitants of planet earth, except for Noah and his sons and their wives and their children who are on the ark. And when they come off of the ark, God says to Noah, be fruitful and multiply, basically. Fill the earth, okay? We're starting fresh, we're starting over. And then in the book of Genesis, we have that table of nations. There's 70 nations that are listed there. There's 70 bulls here. Now, the rabbinic tradition says that the, the headship of the 70 nations were given to Abraham spiritually when he became the first called of God. In other words, Abraham is the first Israelite, correct? He is the first, what we would call a Jew. He is the father of the Jewish nation, the father of the Israelites. And so headship over these 70 nations were given to him. And then when he had Ishmael, and then he had Isaac, it was split from there. 35 nations given to Isaac, 35 nations given to Ishmael. Now, listen, I'm not preaching doctrine here, okay? So this stuff that I'm saying is just food for thought, information, very fascinating, interesting stuff. We're going to get into the good stuff at the end, right? You save the best for last. So um, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. If you can, as you can, you, let's see, I'm sorry. If you go through the days, I need to slow down, I get all excited. When you go through the days, okay, the, 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 starting with the first day all the way to the seventh day, and the sacrifices of the bulls, starting with 13 to 12, 11, and then you have the lambs, the rams, right? <laughs> the lambs, the ram, the sheep, and then you have the goat. But there's two specific things that are said. In certain verses, it says a kid of the goats, and in certain verses, it says just a goat. And, and here's how it's broken down. 
On the first day, on the second day, and on the fourth day, a kid of the goats was offered as a sin offering. And on the third, fifth, sixth, and seventh day, it's just a goat. That's 35 kids of the goats and 35 just goats. Okay, so it seems to be maybe there's something there with this, with this headship of the nations and this splitting up. It's a rabbinic tradition. We're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. We're talking about Sukkoth. Um, also, in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 7, uh, and now this is, more of a, this is more of an accepted understanding of the 70. In Genesis chapter 25 and verse 7, remember that it says that all the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were, can you guess the number? 70. We're 70 in persons and all. 70 bulls offered. Um, Jesus was very likely born during the Feast of Tabernacles, which takes place on the 15th of Tishri, which is the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. For us, that is late September, early October. Our month of December, what we call December, is in the middle of winter in the Holy Land. And it is unlikely, remember when we have the, the story of the advent of Jesus Christ, there were shepherds abiding with their flocks, right? Keeping, abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. They don't do that in the middle of the winter, they would not be in the fields, lying in the fields, sleeping in the fields with their sheep in our month of December. It's the middle of the winter. But they would be in the fall. They would be during the Feast of Tabernacles. That's an interesting point to be made. Again, we don't know that 100% definitively, but it makes, it makes the most sense. Also, if we turn to the Gospel of John, John's Gospel may possibly have given us a hint uh, of the same thing when he says in chapter 1 and verse 14, you can turn there if you'd like, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 14. We're going to look at a few things in the Gospel of John anyway. Gospel of John. Chapter 1. You guys know how it starts, don't you? Boy, it's a lot easier with my iPhone. <laughs> and I, then I have to do paper and it's like, I don't, what do I do? <laughs> uh, Gospel of John, chapter 1. You guys all know this portion. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, uh, I'm going to read that same verse for you out of the Orthodox Jewish Bible. And again, forgive my... Gentiles, okay? And the Dvar Hashem took on Gufanyot, which is corporal reality, and made his sukkah, or his mishkan, his tabernacle with us. Okay? So, is John pointing to the fact, is he saying that Jesus, of course, we know he tabernacled with us, he became a man, he took on the flesh, but is he also pointing to the fact that Jesus came during the Feast of Tabernacles? It's a possibility. Uh, interestingly enough, it is also John who records Jesus' uh, attendance to the Feast of Tabernacles in chapter 7. So I want to look at uh, a couple of these portions with you. Turn with me to still in John. And turn with me to chapter 7. John chapter 7. Now I want to kind of lay out a framework here for you. 
<clears throat> chapter 7 is the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? That's what's happening in, in, in Israel at, the, at this time in the ministry, during the three-year ministry of Jesus Christ. This is the, during the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, John 7, 1, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? Now, the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers, therefore, said to him, depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, let me tell you something, Christian. At various times in your life and in your walk with the Lord, you are going to have people who may or may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ tell you how your walk ought to look. Okay? Or what they really know what you should really ought to be doing in, in your Christianity and your living. And you're doing something, maybe you're even taking a specific stand for the Lord and they're saying, you know, listen, if you, that's not what God wants from you. That's not what God wants you to do. Okay? Listen to what the Lord has to say. All right? Not even the members of your own family. Notice what it says. For even his brothers did not believe in him. That would change down the road. Then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. Interesting. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Now, we have this interesting thing that happens. When he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. So this is a very interesting portion of Scripture. And naysayers have sought to point out the fact that Jesus was being deceptive. He told his brothers he wasn't going to go, and then he went. Okay? And hopefully when you hear that kind of stuff, you can just go, really? Really? Jesus told his brothers specifically, it is not yet my time. And God operates by the minute. Okay? God operates by the minute. What he was saying is, I'm not going up with you. This is not what this feast is about. This Feast of Tabernacles, this one in particular, this Feast of Tabernacles is not about me going up there with my family and celebrating this with them. This one's about something else. My time hasn't come. Go right ahead. You guys move on ahead. At some point in time after they leave, Jesus departs as well, but he goes secretly a different way. Verse 11, then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Verse 14 says, now about the middle of the feast. So the first few days of the feast, Jesus is there, but he's not being seen. Now you tell me what that means. Everybody knew who this guy was. They're talking about him at the feast. Jesus is moving around. We don't know in what capacity. There's different portions of Scripture that says that he disappeared out of their sight or just eluded them or just walked away. And we don't know exactly what that looked like. But Jesus is here. He's at the Feast of Tabernacles. In other, ways, in other words, he is participating in this feast, okay? He is a Jew. He was a Jew. And he was participating in the Feast of Tabernacles. It wasn't going to be completely fulfilled until after his death. So he's there, he's participating, but as it were, in secret. He's not talking to people, he's not being around people, he is somewhere else. About the middle of the feast, 
uh, Jesus went up into the temple and begins to teach, right in the middle of the feast. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters having never studied? Well, can you imagine how? He is the Word. He is the Word. Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Now, remember, we're in the middle of the feast, guys. We are in the middle of the sacred assembly of the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus looks at them in the temple and says, Did not Moses give you the law? Numbers chapter 29. Yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the Father. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should be broken, what does he mean by that? On the Sabbath day, no customary work was to be done, but they did circumcise baby boys if it was the eighth day from their birth to obey the word of God, and yet it violated the Sabbath day. Then why are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Now, Jesus is talking back about an earlier point in Scripture. Remember, when he's in the tabernacle, it's the Sabbath day, and there's the man there with the withered hand. And it says they watched Jesus to see whether or not he would heal this man. They didn't care about the truth of Jesus Christ's words. They didn't care about the ministry of Jesus Christ. The only thing that they were concerned about was their tradition, and their tradition taught that on the Sabbath you shall do no customary work, which is what the Scripture taught, but then they added to it all of their own tradition, all of their own thoughts, and it was burdensome. It was burdensome. And so they accused Jesus of being a Sabbath breaker, get this, for healing someone on the Sabbath. And he has that famous altercation with him where he says, you tell me what is it lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? to kill or to heal. And remember, he, and, he, and he blows them away, they have no words to say, and then after he leaves, it says, from that day forward, they sought how they might kill him. And Jesus knows their hearts and he knows their thoughts. And it's interesting, he waits till the Feast of Tabernacles, he goes up to Jerusalem, he hides among them for half the feast, then halfway through the feast, he shows up in the temple, begins to teach so that they marvel at his teaching, and then confronts the religious leaders. In the middle of their feast, Jesus is making a very, very specific point as he is literally taking the law, taking their tradition, taking this feast, and applying it to himself and telling them that their religion is worthless and their keeping of these things was worthless because of where their hearts were at. Uh, I did one work and you marvel. Um, let's see, I'm sorry. If a man receives circumcision, blah, 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 so the law of Moses cannot be broken, are you angry with him because I made a man completely well on his Sabbath? Do not judge, verse 24, according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now, some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, 
And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know, but I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? And the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. But Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to themselves, where does he intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? This is the thing that he said, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Now, we come to the last day. So, again, here's the framework of the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus Christ goes up during the first portion of the feast completely in secret, completely in secret. Nobody knows that he's there, but they're talking about him. They're talking about him. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about his teachings? And the, and the opinions vary. In the middle of the, t- of the feast, Jesus makes himself known. He teaches in the tabernacle, and he has this altercation again with the religious leaders, where he basically tells them he knows their hearts. Because he says, why do you seek to kill me? You have a demon. Who's he knew their hearts. And he begins to tell them that the circumcision was from God, and that the law that God had given them was of the matters of the heart and they don't want to receive it. They send the officers of the temple to arrest him. And I love this, where Jesus just says, no. I love it. Like, the, like think of this in your mind. This is in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles. The priests send the, the, the officers of the court in a show of force to make an example of Jesus Christ and to take him. And when they come to him, he just goes, no. He says, I'll be with you a little while longer, and then I'll go to him who sent me. You'll seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And he turns around and walks away, and they just stand there. What do we do do now? No idea. Uh, Therefore, many of the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, which, of course, we know that is where Jesus was born. They didn't know it, though, because he grew up in Galilee. So there was a division among the people because of him. Now, some of them wanted to take him, um, but no one laid hands on him. And when the officers came back to the chief priests and Pharisees who had sent them, the the priest said to them, why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Interesting, a little insight into how the religious leaders of the day felt about the people that they were called to serve. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? And they answered and said to him, are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. Now, I've just laid out the feast, okay? And you're like, holy cow, can you please stop? So, Here's the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? And this is what's gone down during the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus goes not at the same. It's like when he instituted the Lord's Supper. 
It was the Passover feast, remember? It was the Passover, but Jesus changed it up completely to reflect the reason he came to planet Earth. Again, Jesus taking the law, taking the festivals, taking the Sabbaths, and making people understand, although they didn't at the time, that it was really about him and about truly having faith in God, not about the outward religious acts of the flesh. And so Jesus comes, he stays hidden for, for, for half of the feast, then he stands up, and he has this altercation with the Pharisees, and then after that, nothing happens until, and we're going to back up here, verse 37, the last day, the great day of the feast. Now, I want to read something for you. Uh, and this is something that I, that I, uh, I, I researched and I found. This is not from me. This is from a historian. Of special note for our text is the water ritual that took place at the Feast of Tabernacles. On each of the first six days, the priest would march in procession to the Pool of Siloam, where he would fill a golden vessel with water. He would then march back to the temple, accompanied by the people, reciting, Therefore, with joy you will draw water out of the wells of salvation, which is from Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. Then at the temple, the priest would, uh, the priest would proce process around the altar with the vessel of water to the accompaniment of a choir singing Hallel Psalms. He would then pour out the water as an offering to God, thus bringing to mind the water from the rock that sustained the ancient Israelites. From Exodus 17, 1 to 7, and Numbers 20, 1 to 13 as well as being thankful to God for the rains that sustained Israel during the year that had passed. The rite also constituted a prayer for God's continued provision of rain for the days to come. On the seventh day, they would march around the altar seven times. They did not observe the water ritual on the eighth day. And so, all through the seven days, Jesus appears, he teaches, he has this confrontation with the Pharisees. They're doing this water ritual every single day. Then on the eighth day, notice what it says, the last day, the great day of the feast, that would be the eighth day when they did not do the water ritual, Jesus stood up. Notice that it says Jesus stood and cried out. He didn't just stand up and speak. He stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so Jesus fulfilling this water festival, or this water, this water procession in himself by saying this. He waits for the eighth day. Now, I want to bookend the Feast of Tabernacles here, okay? Remember what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, that the rock that followed the children of Israel in the wilderness was Christ, in a figurative sense. It was a representation of Jesus Christ. How? Jesus is the rock. He is the foundation in which our faith is laid. And remember, there was water that came forth from the rock to give the people something to drink. That's why Jesus says, out of me, out of the person's heart who believes in me, will flow living water. That was a representation of Christ. That's why Moses was punished so severely when he disobeyed God concerning striking the rock. He was supposed to speak to it the second time, and he struck it. And God said, you didn't hallow me in front of the people. You're not going into the promised land. Like, cut him up some slack. No, no, no. It was very, very important because it's being fulfilled here. Now, the, uh, John chapter 7 is the Feast of Tabernacles. Does anyone remember what happened in John chapter 6? 
John chapter 6 is the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus feeds the 5,000, as you know, with the loaves and the fish. And then he crosses over. That's the portion where they're on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water at night. And the next day on the other side of the Galilee, the people come to him again looking for something to eat. And remember what Jesus says? I am the bread come down from heaven. This is right before the Feast of Tabernacles. I am the bread come down from heaven. And he goes into this whole teaching about how he is the bread, unless you eat of my flesh. And, drink, and the people are like, what is going on? And that's when most of the disciples turn away from him. And then Jesus looks to the 12 and says, will you turn away? And Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of life. The Feast of Tabernacles was about God's provision in the wilderness. How did he provide for the children of Israel in the wilderness? Manna from heaven, right? Water from the rock. And so right before that, Jesus says, I am the bread come down from heaven. And then on the eighth day of the feast, Jesus stands up and says, I am, excuse me, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Amazing. Now, uh, as we know, the teachers of the law entirely reject him. They completely reject him at this point in time. If they hadn't already, they are done with Jesus. So this is the last day of the feast. Notice, verse 53 of chapter 7 says, And everyone went to his own house. John chapter 8, verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. You remember what he used to go to the Mount of Olives for? To pray. Now, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. This is the day after the Feast of Festivals, uh, excuse me, the Feast of Tabernacles wraps up. The next day, he comes to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And you guys know the portion. You know what happens yet. The scribes and the Pharisees bring to him then a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Now, in their religious mind and according to their religious sensibilities, there would be no greater time than to stone somebody to death for adultery than right around an appointed feast. It was after the Sabbath. It was after the last day, the day that, was, that no customary was, work to, was to be done. So now it's perfectly okay to kill people, right? And so they bring this woman caught in adultery to Jesus Christ. I am the bread come down from heaven. All who thirst come to me and out of their hearts will flow living water. And now the day after the feast, the day after, Jesus comes back down, begins to teach, and they bring him this woman caught in adultery. Now is where the rubber meets the road. Now is where what Jesus has been talking about goes into action. And here's what it looks like. The exact opposite of anything they'd ever seen. The exact opposite of everything that they believed. This woman, according to the law, should have been stoned to death. But instead... Instead, Jesus writes in the sand. And then he makes that famous statement. He, uh, Whoever among you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Remember. And then, one by one, they walk away. In verse 11, you know this, uh, where he says, Woman, are where are these accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she says, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus turns back to the crowd the people he was teaching before they brought the woman, and he says this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now it's complete. Jesus has finished up the circle here. He started with, I am the bread come down from heaven. I am the word. 
the bread come down from heaven. He goes to the Feast of Tabernacles, and he says, anyone who believes in him, that's where the living water is going to come from, proclaiming himself to be that rock. And immediately following, he tells this woman, I am the light of the world. I am the replacement. I am, rather, not the replacement, but the fulfillment of all of these things, of all of these feasts, of all of these Sabbaths, I am the fulfillment of it. And he says to her, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Amen? I love it. I love it. Now, um, what time is it? Okay, we're gonna, we got to move here. So the Feast of Tabernacles, okay, Jesus is, is the fulfillment of it in a couple of different ways. First of all, he came and he tabernacled with us, didn't he? He took the form of a man and he lived among us. The second time is when Jesus Christ is going to come back at the end of the seven-year, what we call the seven-year tribulationary period, and he's going to live and rule from Jerusalem for a thousand years. That's going to be sweet, right? We're going to be there. That's going to be awesome. And then at the very end of the thousand years, we have this, this, this portion at the very end of Revelation where Satan, who has been in the abyss, okay, uh, Satan has been locked up, put into what the Bible calls the abyss, the bottomless pit, the abuso in the Greek, for a thousand years, the earth is restored to the Garden of Eden. Everything is perfect. And then the Bible says Satan is released from the abyss to go out and deceive the nations. Why? Why would you do that? Because everyone has to have a choice. Everyone, all of the children born during the thousand years have only ever known Christ's perfect rule. And there wasn't any choice as to whether or not you were going to do the right things during this thousand years. Everyone obeys, is compelled to obey the word of God. But after the thousand years, Satan is released to go out and deceive the nations with the same exact lie that he gave to Adam and Eve. God is holding you back. He's holding you back from something. He doesn't want you to be all that you can be. You're locked up in this. You, you're not free because of all of the rules and all of the regulations he's placed upon you. Throw off of his yoke. Throw off his rule. And together, you know, whatever. And the Bible says that they gather against Jerusalem like the sand of the seashore. After a thousand years of perfection, when they're given the chance to rebel against Christ, like the sand of the seashore. Amazing. The Bible says then that God's righteous fire falls from heaven and consumes all of these armies that come against Jerusalem. Then after that, we have the great white throne of judgment where it is the final judgment of the living and the dead. And anyone's name who is not found in what's called the Lamb's Book of Life is cast into now the lake of fire, what is called the lake of fire. And it's only after that, it's only after that, that the old heavens and the old earth pass away, and God creates a whole new heaven and a whole new earth. And it's not until that point in time when God physically enters into the presence of mankind, physically enters into the presence at that point in time, touches his feet back down on planet earth like he did in the Garden of Eden. And it says, now the tabernacle of God is with men. Amen? That is the ultimate, 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 ultimate celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles is going to be when God is making his tabernacle amongst men. That's what we're looking forward to, guys. I know, that was a lot. Let's finish with a celebration, shall we? Uh, we have the guys come on up. The communion table, again, as we were talking about earlier, this is the Passover meal. 
It was the Passover meal. This was the meal that, that God gave to Moses to share with the children of Israel when they were in Egypt, right before the Exodus took place. And what she said, you're to take a lamb, you're to slaughter it, and you're to take its blood and with a hyssop branch, put it on the doorposts of your home. And when the blood of the lamb is on the doorposts of your home and the angel of death passes through Egypt and passes your house, if, it, if, if the blood of the lamb is on the doorposts of your house, the angel of death will pass over you. That's why it's called Passover. But always, always since that day, since they were still in Egypt, it was looking forward to the day when the lamb, the lamb would be sacrificed for you and me. And his blood, in a spiritual sense, put on the doorposts of our heart, there is now therefore no condemnation for those of you who are in Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture teaches. There is no condemnation, any accusation, any, any guilt, any condemnation that would ever come your way from your own heart or from anybody else. You have the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of your heart. It cannot stay there. It needs to pass on over. And so Jesus Christ, remember when he shares Passover with his disciples, he says, oh man, I have longed to share this Passover with you. I have been waiting for this for like 4,000 years. <laughs> you guys have no idea. I've been waiting to share this Passover meal with you. And he changes everything up. He changes everything up. He takes away all the ceremonial things and he simply takes the bread and he takes the wine, and he breaks the bread, and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat this in remembrance of me. And he passes the cup, and he says, this is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant that is shed for you. And when you do this, whenever you come together, and whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is a celebration for us, a celebration of what Jesus Christ is, the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of all of the of all of the requirements of God are in Jesus Christ. And his dying on the cross, his body being broken, his blood being shed, sealed the deal for you and I. And his resurrection from the, deal, from the dead sealed another deal for you and I. You know which deal that is? Ain't no grave gonna hold me down. We're gonna do that song soon. That's the celebration of this. You are... In a sense, not in a sense, in a real, in, it, literally, you are immortal. Now, the mortal coil, I got nothing for you, okay? The mortal coil, it, it gets sick, it gets hurt. It, we are subject to all the things that take place on planet Earth that everyone else is subject to. But your spirit, your spirit is eternal. And with the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of your heart, you have eternal life. I love that. That's the promise, that's the hope. Come on up, guys, this time. <laughs> I promise.